You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why do people insist on classifying Nazis as right-wing? The name is a contraction of National Socialist. First of all, I have to give my caveat that I think that just like using Nazis in a debate is always quicksand that is not helpful to political discussion. America is a democracy, and so comparing it to a group of people that instilled an enabling act prevented all other parties from existing, proceeded to kill some political opponents, and then just rule as a dictatorship, really has no place in comparison to any point on the spectrum. But in terms of why they shouldn't be classified as left, I mean, the SDP was the main socialist party in Germany, and there was also communists in the Reichstag. They were killed, tortured, prevented from voting, exiled, as soon as the Nazis came to power. But then you could see who they joined with. Their consistent ally, all the way up to the seizure of power, was the DNVP, which would have been a very non-socialist, corporate conservative party. And you have the Harsberg Front. The Harsberg Front of 1931 was a group of conservative parties of which the National Socialists were part of. Eugene Debs, they were not. It doesn't fit well with German politics. You know, comparing German politics to American politics doesn't fit well, particularly in this question of socialism. In American politics, right and socialism doesn't mix. But Germany generally liked social legislation. And the time where you're discussing already saw long ingrained social programs that Americans were still in the discussion stages on. Otto von Bismarck's social legislation, the Health Insurance Bill of 1883, Accident Insurance Bill of 1884, Old Age and Disability Insurance Bill of 1889. This is well before the time of the American New Deal, and this is coming from Otto von Bismarck. The use of the name socialist in a party was not so crazy in Germany. Where they did not agree with the agenda of the day is that they were not international socialists, all right? This was not like the Soviet Union-type socialism. This was national socialist, so socialist for German working men only and not getting involved with international socialism, an agenda outside of Germany. It is not right to take all people operating in a democratic country like the United States and compare them to people who were running a military dictatorship. Michael Rancer writes on the My History Could Beat Up Your Politics site, I saw this recent article in the British magazine, The Economist, about some current GOP efforts to call a constitutional convention in the United States. What does history tell us about how this might proceed? Um, And I did read a bit of this article, and I guess the movement is a little bit closer than I had thought, but there, there is a group that has some legislatures uh, 
interested in putting forth a balanced budget amendment and getting that done not through Congress, but getting it through a convention of states. Article 5 of the Constitution actually has two paths by which future amendments can be proposed. Congress can propose amendments, or Congress can summon a convention of representatives from the states to propose them. So just in case, though, and this is something that George Mason argues at the Constitutional Convention that What if Congress is corrupted? So just in case, there's also a procedure. If two-thirds of the state legislatures want to call for such a convention, Congress would have to call for it, and there would be a convention. Hi, it's Bruce. Listen, we all know the news headlines are full of wild stories, like how the world is tipping towards authoritarianism, all while somehow simultaneously freezing, flooding, and on fire. It's a lot to take in. But what if, instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're actually on the cusp of a better world? If I've got your attention, then I highly recommend tuning to a podcast that offers a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people. What Could Go Right is the acclaimed news podcast from the Progress Network. Zachary Carabell and Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from climate change to politics, and make the case for a brighter future. Season 5 features fascinating guests like democracy scholar Yesha Munk on the hidden perils of identity politics, and NPR anchor Steve Inskeep about the importance of talking to people who differ from you, and what Abe Lincoln learned from those conversations that helped him unify the country. It's time to ditch the doom-scrolling polarization and start focusing on some of the things going right. So check out What Could Go Right wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That procedure that Mason came up with has never been used. A lot of people don't even know that it exists. It could change. There's a group getting together, uh, Balanced Budget Amendment Task Force, and there have been 27 states in which, at some point, legislatures have passed resolutions calling for a convention to propose a balanced budget amendment. Seven states which have not called for a convention are in Republican control in both houses of the legislature. So this is a movement that people are are working on. 
and groups like Common Cause, the National Taxpayers Union are joining this group and they're aiming to have 34 states signed up by the end of 2010. Now, what do I think about it? What does history say about it? Well, the framers at the Constitutional Convention were very concerned about a second Constitutional Convention for a variety of reasons. First of all, they think that it, they thought that it would undermine the strength of the document. You know, that document we hold is sacred, but if you keep changing it, and if it's only as good as the next 10 years, does that Constitution have the reverence in our laws that it does now? I also believe that opening up a constitutional convention, even if it's only for one issue like the balanced budget, I think there's going to be a lot of fear of that Pandora's box that once you have this constitutional convention, people are going to be lobbying for other changes and rights that are really important to people might be modified. I would find it unlikely that a constitutional convention would be called and only change one thing. And indeed, an attempt to do this in, I, in Idaho, of all places, failed. So their Senate voted overwhelmingly against introducing a call for a constitutional convention. I think they might be a little afraid of that Pandora's box factor. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.